I'm Carrie. And I'm Amy. And you are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover. And this is a show where two friends, that would be us, chat about books and reading with another book lover. We find book lovers everywhere. Authors of all types, reading group members, booksellers, and librarians, just to name a few. And we're totally biased, but we think reading people are the coolest people. Of course. So, Carrie, we have talked a little on the show about our competition on the number of books we read. And we had the pleasure to chat with middle school librarian Jackie Iser, who lives right outside Austin, Texas, and who kicks both of our asses when it comes to book reading. Yeah, I was really amazed by how many books she is able to read in a year, which is like over 150 books a year, which is nuts to me anyway. So we wanted to talk to her about how she does that and also about her love of middle grade fiction, which for some people might seem a little unusual for an adult. Probably not to you because I know you read a lot of middle grade Yeah. And she's a middle school librarian. So I think if you are a person who teaches in some capacity, middle grade, you're going to end up reading a lot of middle grade stuff. But first, Carrie, we received some great feedback this week. Yay. We love feedback. So listener Bethany wrote a review on Apple podcast and she says, I love listening to all the interesting readers that Amy and Carrie interview. I have discovered many great books through this podcast. That's great, Bethany, because that's our whole point is to get people reading different books. Yeah. And to add to our TBR list. Which is way, 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 way too long. Yeah. So Carrie, you went on vacation this week. Yes. Yes, I did. So our family went down to the Red River Gorge area of Kentucky. And I wanted to tell you, you lent me a book that came in super helpful when we were down there. It's called Hiking Kentucky's Red River Gorge, Your Definitive Guide to the Jewel of the Southeast by Sean Patrick Hill. And it's a slim volume, but it talks about a lot of the trails. And I I didn't know this. So this was very helpful to me. People talk about Red River Gorge, but it's actually sort of this huge area. So Red River Gorge geological area is part of it, but then there's also what's called the Clifty Wilderness. And then there's also Natural Bridge State Resort Park. And so this book was super helpful, just kind of explaining the area and giving helpful information about some of the trails. So we used it constantly. So um, Oh, awesome. If you're heading to that area and you want to have, you know, I mean, we have apps like All Trails and stuff like that. So, you know, you can use websites, but I I felt like it it helped enhance our understanding of the area and and provided some pretty good details cuz my parents were there with us, so we really needed to know as far as trails like what we were getting into, <laughs> you know how steep it was, how hard it was, was it paved, you know, was it rocky? We we really needed as much information as we could get. So I will be giving this back to you, but it was super, super helpful. But I have to say, I really missed you last week and our podcast really missed you because while you we were gone, <laughs> I posted some social media posts to Instagram and Facebook and realized that I had miss. well, I didn't realize until you told me that I had misspelled <laughs> our guest's name on on all the things that I had posted. And it was so super embarrassing. And I realized I need you here, Carrie, to be my quality control. Yeah, I saw that and I was like, hmm, I, I, I hated to tell you that. 
because I know that those take a lot of work to load and and all that stuff. But <laughs> well, I'm the glad English teacher in me could not not say anything. Well, and it seems like the last time you were gone, I posted a, one of our episodes. <laughs> it was a rebroadcast. And there wasn't a file there because I always send it to you after I'm done editing and you listen to it and you're the quality control. And once again, I completely flubbed it up because I didn't have you to say, nope, that's not right. Yeah. So. The buck stops with me, right? Is yep. that, so yep. if it's messed up, it's it's Carrie's fault. That's that's kind of handy. We're, we're a completely <laughs> professional operation going on that's right, right here. That's right. That's right. Well, I think it's time that we talk to Jackie. Let's do it. Jackie, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Jackie, you and I met at the Texas Book Festival maybe five years ago, and that was my first ever book festival. And right before we started recording, we were talking about how in Texas, just everything is bigger. And so I want to say to all those listeners out there, if you ever get a chance to go to the Texas Book Festival in Austin, Texas, you should definitely do it. But Jackie, one of the reasons we have you on today is because you are a super reader and you read a lot. I mean, a lot. So I want us to start out with your life as a child and what was your reading life like then? Were you always a big reader? Yes. I have parents who are avid readers and so definitely promoted that. And a mom who took us to the library on a weekly basis and never limited us with how many books we could bring home. And I learned, I think, to speed read pretty young. I know that I learned to do this because I was finishing books very, very, very quickly, quicker than anybody in my life. I remember my elementary school library very vividly. It was in the basement of our school. It was a kindergarten through third grade campus. The kids in the class would get to go choose a book and check it out and then go sit anywhere that they wanted to in the library to read. And she had these fun little chairs and like little <laughs> bean bags and cushions and, you know, a bunch of that kind of stuff for the kids to sit on and enjoy reading. I remember never getting any of those fun chairs because I was taking my time looking at the, <laughs> the other kids who maybe didn't care as much. And I would just kind of wander around and look and go back to the Nancy Drew shelf over and over and over. I read all of those books many, many times. That and Little House on the Prairie, my all-time favorites when I was in elementary school. And then I remember my parents saying, you're not allowed to read at the dinner table. You're <laughs> taking books to church. And I mean, all the places I was not allowed to read because... If they didn't tell me that, I would. And mm -hmm. I can read in the car. I can read on an airplane. I can read on a train. I can read anywhere in the world. And I can block out everything around me and pay attention to a book. I have done that literally my whole life. So when you said that you learned that you were a speed reader, so, is, I mean, you weren't taught to speed read. That's something that you just learned yourself how to do. Yes. Right? Yes. So... You know, as an adult, I've investigated that. And some of the things that speed readers do is they just skip over information that they already know or have already read. Or, 
in my case, I don't think you're supposed to to do this, but if it's boring <laughs> or, or I don't really understand it, I'll just skip it, which was to my detriment in college when I took economics, <laughs> read a chapter and then go, oh, wait, I don't think I read anything because I, it was one boring and two, I didn't understand it. So I had to make myself read it out loud in order to study for economics. But one of my favorite series growing up was The Babysitter's Club. And the beginning of every single book was the same because she introduced all the characters and their families and the situations. And I would just naturally skip all of Hmm. those things and could not understand why anybody would read it every single time. I'm like, I already know these characters. I know what's going on. I don't need to read this again. And when I learned that, no, other kids do actually read it and they read every word and they read it cover to cover I thought huh that's interesting I hmm. but I don't want to do that I guess you know you have to recognize the way you said you did like with economics you recognize that you weren't getting it yeah and so then you applied some of those reading techniques that people do so I think that's the thing it's not just reading fast it's also yeah. being very cognizant of what you're comprehending about what you're reading exactly yeah so I don't know how I picked that up or figured it out. I will tell you, my dad has always been able to consume a lot of writing and internalize it and remember it. And I assume that I get this from him. You are on track to read 175 books this year. And I snuck a peek at your Goodreads and you read 168 last year. So I'm wondering... Does setting a reading goal encourage you to read more or do you use Goodreads mainly just as a tracking device so you can keep track of what books you've read? That is a very good question. And I will tell you that when I became a librarian 10 years ago, I decided that I would start tracking my reading with Goodreads. Until then, I knew what Goodreads was and I was very interested in joining it and participating, but I felt a little overwhelmed at the idea of going and marking every book I've read as read. It was like, that would be a lot of work. And (laughs) I hadn't really wanted to do that. So I decided, you know what, I'm not going to worry about my past reading and putting it on Goodreads. I'm just going to do everything from now going forward as a librarian. Then after a few years, I guess, I noticed the, the reading challenge. And I thought, well, that's cool. I should try that. And I really liked the reading challenge on Goodreads because you can change it if you need to. Mm. So, for example, the year that I got married, lower my reading challenge for myself (laughs) because I realized, oh, I'm not going to make it because I'm busy with all of this wedding stuff. Or I can increase it. So now I do set the challenge to challenge myself. I don't try to do it to be some sort of super reader. And I definitely give myself a challenge, a number that I will be comfortable with. I don't want to feel like I have to just read every minute of my spare time in order to meet that challenge. But it does kind of keep me on my toes. And I like the way that Goodreads organizes it because they'll tell you if you're on track or if you're ahead or if you're behind. And that's motivating. 
you know, but I predominantly use it to track my reading and to organize all the books I've read into bookshelves because Goodreads lets you do that. And it's very handy for me to be able to refer back to because I don't always remember the titles of books or if I've read something sometimes until I look on my Goodreads and then that will kind of jog my memory and (laughs) I can go, oh yeah, I did read that. Or, oh, I just heard about that and put it on my want to read list. So I have to ask, you allude to this about remembering books. So, I mean, I read a lot, but there are some books that I don't know why, but they just don't stick in my head. And I know... (laughs) I thought that I had never read The Hunchback of Notre Dame, yes. but in my head, I pictured there was this scene and I, I could remember it so vividly, but I knew that I had not read The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And so then I found this website and I described this scene and I was like, please help me figure this out. What book is this? You know, I can't remember what book this is from. And they said The Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> and I went, oh, okay. Apparently I have read that book. Because I know I haven't seen the movie. So because you read so many in terms of remembering, you know, and and having pretty good recollection about what you've read, is that pretty strong? I will will say that I definitely sort my books into bookshelves in my brain, in my head, by genre. So that definitely helps me remember them better. But I definitely will have times where I want to recommend a book to a student and I'm thinking, okay, I've read it and I know what the main character's name is, but I can't remember the title of the book. And so I'll have to do a little investigating. Mm. And usually I can figure it out pretty quickly. But yes, I definitely have times where I forget things and have to look it up. Thank goodness we have a a digital catalog and Google to help. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm interested in how you structure your reading time. We had a guest on last year who was also, she didn't read quite as much as, as you do, but she, she read a lot, but she, she was a very organized person. She had like a schedule, you know, she knew she had to read so many minutes of this oh, book wow. that day. You know, she was reading like three different books at a time and she knew how many minutes each day she needed to read of those books. And so I'm wondering, do you do something like that to, to be able to maximize the number of books or are you sort of just free form? (laughs) Are you just reading what you want to read? I definitely tend to read whenever I want to. I do try to read at school and carve out time to do that. That was difficult for me to decide. I, I, I give myself permission to do that because a lot of librarians think that if if anybody walks in the library, they should see you busy, right? They should see you working. Not that reading isn't part of our job because it is. It's a huge part of our job. That way, when students come up to talk to me or check out books, I have a book sitting there that I can show them or say, this is what I'm reading. Tell me what you're reading. And Mm -hmm. just showing kids that I am reading the books that are in their library. And that is important to me. But I like to read before I go to bed. I love to read when I travel. I can go pretty much anywhere for a week and read a minimum of 10 books. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. And that's not, I mean, and that's just in travel time, right? It's not like I'm going to go to a beach and lay on the beach and read. It is while I'm on the plane and in the car. And I have 
parents and a sister who when growing up we would travel all four of us would be sitting there reading you know while we were waiting at the airport Um, I was gonna say was somebody I hope somebody wasn't driving while reading although you know I usually keep a book in my purse yeah and if it's a really good book if I'm at a stoplight or stuck in traffic I will read I do the same thing (laughs) I do the exact same thing if I'm super excited about it I love go and get a pedicure and if I forget my book at home, I will just be so mad at myself. This is a perfect hour to sit and read and not be distracted. And so I do try to take advantage and take books with me, just like you, so that if, if I have a free minute, I'm not just twiddling my thumbs. So what would you say the average number of books you read a week is? Oh, gosh, maybe three. Maybe I finish three a week. On average, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever calculated that out because I definitely go through phases where I am reading and reading and reading and reading a ton of stuff for several months and then maybe take a break. And and I will be very honest that this year dealing with the pandemic Mm. and the emotional stress of that made me gravitate towards my favorite books and series and authors and reread a lot just to kind of comfort myself in that way and not read as many new releases. So this summer I will be playing catch up Mm. and reading all of the new stuff that I have not gotten to yet this year. You've mentioned that you're a, a librarian in a middle school. So many of the books that you read are middle grade and, and YA books. So yes. would you say that those two kind of genres are your genres of choice? Like even if you didn't work with middle school students, do you think you would gravitate towards those? It's funny because what I gravitate towards with that age demographic for books is different than what I gravitate to for genres for adult literature. So I have always loved reading mysteries and thrillers and things like that as an adult and with adult genres. But with middle grade and YA literature, I love fantasy and adventure Mm. and science fiction which are very, very popular with middle grade students. And I have to make myself read realistic fiction, even though I always enjoy it, right? I mean, I enjoy it very much, but it's not necessarily where I gravitate. But to read an adult fantasy novel or series is just the worst. I do not (laughs) touch those with a 10-foot pole. I've tried, and I think, oh my gosh. I mean, I, I read Dune. And I was like, it's fine, you know, know, there were parts of it that I thought were boring and parts of it that I thought were good, but you know, it's no Harry Potter, Mm. it's no Fable Haven. Yeah, I definitely don't gravitate towards that at all with adult books, but with middle grade all the way. I love it, love it. I wonder why that is. Although I kind of agree with you. There's a lot of YA and middle grade fantasy that I like. And somehow Mm -hmm. what I don't like about adult fantasy and science fiction sometimes is that there's all this world building, which I have trouble with. I don't know. It's like too much work (laughs) to try to figure out this whole new world, this whole new language. Yes. With Dune, I thought, oh my goodness, this is so elaborate. But 
I can read a middle grade series that's just as elaborate and I have no trouble with it at all. But one of the reasons I love reading middle grade and YA literature is that authors are doing such a beautiful job of giving us flawed protagonists that have very obvious flaws. You know, they don't try to hide it. <laughs> it's very out in the open that they're flawed and yet they demonstrate bravery and love and resilience in situations that are pretty big. And so when I read a book with a great protagonist, it makes me feel so good to know that my students are reading and meeting this protagonist and seeing that they're flawed, just like my students are flawed, and yet they can persevere mm -hmm. in these difficult situations. I really, really enjoy that. I love seeing these young characters grow and change and be supportive of their friends and their family. And it just, it makes me feel so happy. It really, mm -hmm. really does. So middle school is often a time where the enthusiasm that kids have in elementary school for books and reading sort of falls apart. So do you see that happening? And why do you think that happens? I definitely think that a lot of that happens because students aren't as concerned about pleasing their teachers. Mm -hmm. Through elementary school, they want their teachers to like them and they want to please their teachers. So they're more likely to be agreeable to, you know, reading a book. And in middle school, they don't really feel that way anymore. So a lot of kids realize, oh, I can maybe do the bare minimum and get away with it. And, you know, our teachers have 125 students each. Also, our kids are starting to be involved in competitive activities, mm -hmm. whether that's music or athletics. So they're busier right. and they have less free time to read. I know my kids here in Louisville, our district that we're in stayed virtual until March. And then in March, elementary went back. And in April, middle and high school went back. We weren't about to start a new new routine in March and April. So I opted <laughs> keep the kids on the routine that they had gotten used to. One of the things I noticed with my daughter, and as she's 17 and she's a junior, she read so many more books this year. And I think it was because, I mean, she just wasn't at school for seven hours a day, yeah. you know? And so it, it's almost like a little bit counterintuitive or paradoxical, but it's almost like education, like the formal education took away from her time to read, which yeah. is kind of funny, but I do think that happens. You know, when, when she was in school for seven hours a day, she didn't feel like coming home and picking up a book and reading. Yeah. But since she's not in school seven hours a day, she has more time to read. And so she's read, I mean, like way, way more books this year than she has, you know, since she started school. Yeah, I think a lot of students have taken advantage of that time. I know that our teachers have been very limited in how much time that they can spend on 
Zoom, right? Mm, Because we don't want the kids on Zoom all day long. So in that school time, but the kids aren't on Zoom, if they're virtual, they have free time, you Mm -hmm. know, and and they might do the assignment. It might not take that long. And so, yeah, I think a lot of our students have been reading quite a bit. I do think a lot of our students have also been playing a lot of video games. Oh, well, sure. Um, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, for sure. But I mean, I heard from an eighth grader the other day that she realized how important it has been for her to go spend time outside Mm. and would not have ever learned that about herself in relationship to school and the stress that school brings if she hadn't been home this year. And I thought that was fantastic that she learned that about herself. So I'm really curious to know who are some of your favorite middle grade authors and why? Sort of making a list earlier today in anticipation of this question. And after I had written down seven authors, (laughs) I thought, oh, Hey, I need to cut myself off because I could easily give you a list of about 25 um, <laughs> easily that are my favorites. And my students learn this about me. My husband has had to learn this about me. I will say, oh, that's my favorite. <laughs> so you can't have so many favorites, but I do, I do. I have so many favorites and I have actually gotten to meet several of my favorite authors, either at the Texas Book Festival or at the Texas Library Association conference. There's an author named Brandon Mull. And the series that I recommend that people start with of his books is called Fable Haven. And it's five books, but he's done a spinoff series. Thank the good Lord, because (laughs) it's so good. And I I probably reread Fable Haven every other year. And I was his author guide at Texas Book Festival. And we're walking to the Capitol building where I'm going to escort him to his session. He's a pretty big deal author. So I was a little bit nervous. And he said, so Jackie, you know, what do you do? And I said, well, I am a lore master. Um, (laughs) Because that's what he called the librarian in one of his books. And he got the biggest grin on his face. (laughs) And I just started laughing. I said, yes, I'm a middle school librarian. You know, he just beamed at that. And I thought, oh my gosh, I made Brandon Mull smile. And I was so excited. But I have also gotten to escort Lois Lowry. Oh. Oh, wow. I know. And I really could barely speak because I was so intimidated by her and just wowed by her and so getting to do the Texas Book Festival has been wonderful. I got to visit with Sharon Draper and I took her copy of one of my books from children's literature that I think I took in college and it's called Tears of a Tiger and when I showed it to her she said oh my gosh, I haven't seen this edition in so long and was so excited. And, you know, we took a picture together and she gave me a hug and and I just thought, oh my gosh, like I get to give this tiny little bit of joy back to this author who makes such an impact on so many people. And that interaction was just, it was just so special. I, I tell you what, J.K. Rowling and Rick Riordan 
open the door for middle grade literature mm. and for authors to write for middle grades specifically and to give our students really high quality literature. J.K. Rowling and Rick Riordan showed publishers there is a big market for this. And I'm so thankful they did that because the quality of literature that my students get to read is so good and better than so much adult stuff that I'm so thankful that I get to be a middle school librarian right now because of the, of the literature that's being published for them. I teach homeschooled middle and high school. And with my middle school students, I always pick Newbery award-winning books to do with them. When we were writing up these questions, the one writer that always sticks in my head, I taught him back when I taught full-time, I have read his book to my children, is Christopher Paul Curtis. I love The Watsons Go to Birmingham. I think that is one of the best books ever. Now I read that book to my son several years ago and he even brought it up the other day. You know, he was like, what was that book? And, you know, he described it. And I think that's a fantastic book. It's, it's just one of my all time favorites, but I agree with you about the characters are so real and, and, you know, they're flawed, but they're also redeeming. You know, there's something about the characters in middle school literature that's so redeeming. I I try to keep on top of what the newer Newbery medal winners are, and they're just so good. You know, I just think, how can they just keep getting better and better? And and they do. They do. So I will tell you, I did get to meet Christopher Paul Curtis. Oh. And he is one of the most lovely gentlemen. And getting to hear him speak, it was just such a, like, a warm experience. His demeanor is just very warm and welcoming. And I think the first book I read by him was Bud, Not Buddy. Mm, and then yeah. went on to read pretty much everything else he's written and the Watsons go to Birmingham is such a great introduction for students to start learning about racism and the kind of the history there and that the United States isn't perfect and there have been mistakes that have been made and he takes a really traumatic event and just I don't want to say he softens it but he makes it a little bit easier for our young kids to ingest, yeah. you know, so it's not quite so shocking and horrible, even though it is, but they can kind of deal with it because of the, the characters that are kind of taking them through the story. I felt like those characters were kind of holding your hand. I used to really focus on, I want to say it's chapter 10. I think it's called like Fingers in God's Beard. And it is so full of this beautiful imagery and similes and metaphors. And I mean, like I would dive in with my students and, and I talked about it with my son. It's an awesome story and there's awesome characters and it tells you about an important event, but also just the writing Oh yeah, is so beautiful yeah. that I don't know. It's just one of my all time favorites. It definitely is imagery that sticks with you. Yeah. You know, it's not a book that I've ever forgotten. You know, I've never forgotten that one. <laughs> There's a lot of books I forget. Can't remember if I've read it, but not that one. The newest Newbery winner, When You Trap a Tiger by Tay Keller, is excellent. And I okay. highly recommend it if you guys haven't read it yet. It's a beautiful story about family and family history. And then you have some 
Korean mythology that works its way into it. And uh, there's a, a sister relationship I really enjoyed reading about because I have a younger sister and I think kids are just going to love it. I really do. I just put it on my TBR. You're so. fast. <laughs> Well, so talk to us a little bit about graphic novels. So some educators and parents that I've talked to, not so much educators, it's mostly parents really, but they consider them like twaddle while others say, if it'll get a kid to read, you know, do you have any strong feelings one way or the other about graphic novels? What do you see are the benefits and are there any drawbacks? I really like graphic novels. Not for me personally to read. I have not read a ton of graphic novels, but it makes my students so very happy. Graphic novels, I feel like they're just very relatable for kids, even though it's not the content. It's just like being able to look at pictures again, because Mm -hmm. a lot of our students are, you know, reading what our teachers call chapter books, right? Mm -hmm, When they're in upper elementary school. So they've gotten away from picture books and they're reading chapter books. And I think when they encounter graphic novels, they're just so delighted that, Mm -hmm. oh, I have pictures and, and they're really well drawn. And this is so fun. And the Raina Telgemeier books, are Uh, very popular and I mean I automatically buy three or four copies of every single one of her books just without having read it you know because I know it's going to be excellent and the kids just eat them up they just love them and I'm constantly having to replace them because they fall apart and manga has been very popular in the last couple of years it's a little difficult for me to find age appropriate manga Mm for our kids that's not too young and not too mature there's a series called my hero academia that is very popular but also you may be familiar with um, some old series maximum ride by james patterson and cert de freak by darren shan those are both book series novels that were written quite a long time ago that have been developed into a manga version huh? and the kids love them. They cannot put those down. And I have actually seen kids read through the maximum ride manga books and then actually go pick up the novels, which is pretty cool. I don't think any human should only read one kind of book. Mm-hmm. I think diversity in what we read, just like what we eat, I think that's healthy and it can challenge your brain. And so, you know, sometimes I, if I notice a student only reading graphic novels or even just only reading one genre, mm-hmm. I do try to, you know, have a little conversation and, and ask, well, you know, is there another book that you've read this year or tell me about that? And I actually had that conversation today with a student who has been checking out, you know, three graphic novels every four or five days for several months now. And I asked, you read any books that are not graphic novels this year? And she told me, she told me about a book that she'd read for her language arts class. And we talked about what she thought about it. And it was great. And it kind of made me go, okay, I feel a little bit better now because I don't know why it's not my job to worry about this, except, you know, I just want them to be able to broaden their horizons and not just get set 
in any one type of book. I have noticed that a lot of classics have been turned into graphic novels, which I think is kind of interesting, you know, because a student looks at maybe the Odyssey or something like that. And they think, oh, I don't want to do this. But then when they see the the pictures and that are taking you through the story, it's like, oh, that doesn't look too bad. I yeah. think that's pretty cool. I have one last reading question for you. And that is, do you ever have reading slumps? And if you do, how do you pull yourself out of them? I do definitely have reading slumps. And Sometimes it's just a matter of finding that right book that's going to perk me up. Generally, my reading slumps don't last more than a few weeks, but I definitely will think, oh, I don't want to read that. You know, I'll I'll have books on my to-read list and look at all of them and think, I don't want to read any of those. (laughs) It's silly because obviously I picked it for a reason. (laughs) I do actually want to read it. And sometimes it takes just rereading something. You know, I I definitely have favorite books and I have a brilliant ability to not remember the endings of everything I read, but I'll (laughs) generally remember how the book made me feel. So when I open Mm. up a book I've read before, after reading the first chapter or so, I can remember, oh, I really like this story or, oh, I didn't like this very much. And then I'll know if I want to keep reading it or put it down, but I won't remember the ending. <laughs> I enjoy that because That's it makes awesome. it a little bit new for me, but I remember liking it or disliking it. The books that make the huge, huge impressions on me, I do remember those endings. And those are the books that go on my you know, most favorite books list. Well, Jackie, it has been so great hearing all about your reading and hearing you give those suggestions for books that we should check out. We are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're all going to talk about what we're reading. We are back with Jackie Iser and with Carrie, and we're going to talk about what we're reading. Carrie, I know that you're in the middle of a huge, huge 900-page book, (laughs) and I don't really know if you've been reading anything else but that. I have, because otherwise I'd have nothing to talk about when we record. Actually, I was going to talk about one book, but I decided I'd change my mind. So I'm going to talk about another book. It is a Newbery Award winner. I just recently finished the audiobook. It's called Hello Universe by Erin Entrada Kelly it sort of grew on me. Like at first I was like, eh, but I keep thinking about it. It is the story of these four characters. So one is a deaf girl named Valencia. And one is a boy who's very quiet and his name is Virgil. And another one is Kauri Tanaka. And she's all into the spirit and the senses. And she claims that she's a psychic. And then there's Chet Bullins. And he's the bully of the story. And so it's about how these characters interact with each other. And how Virgil and Valencia find each other by the end of the book. It's kind of an interesting story. It's one of those stories where you have a lot of favorite characters. It was just really heartwarming. There was a male narrator and a female narrator. And the female narrator who narrated Valencia was just, I thought she was fantastic. 
and so it was this interesting perspective because Valencia is deaf. And so, you know, a lot of people look at her strangely or talk really loudly, you know, as if that's going to make her be able to hear them. And then Virgil is very quiet and his family calls him turtle because he's so quiet and he really hates it, but he won't come out and tell them, I don't like that you call me turtle. So it's one of those stories where these characters, well, maybe not Chet. I'm not sure Chet comes to any like big personal revelations, but the other characters come to some realizations about themselves. So I really enjoyed it. It was just a really fun listen and uh, I'd recommend it to other people. What was it about it in the beginning that just didn't grab you, but then by the end did? It wasn't a book that I was like, oh, I can't wait to read this. And so when I started it, I was just calling, but then as I kept going, I really like sort of fell in love with Valencia's character. And then there's a younger sister, uh, Cowrie's younger sister, Gen, is just really funny. Like she just does funny stuff and she asks a lot of questions. I don't know. Like as I read the story, I just really liked the characters. Again, not so much Chet, but uh, the other characters. I just really liked them. And so by the end of it, I was like, oh, I'm so glad I read this. But, you know, going into it, which is kind of funny because normally I, I don't even know that I recognize that it was a Newberry winner. Because if I know it's a Newberry winner, I'm like, oh, excited. So I don't even think I knew it was that. Well, maybe the characters grew on you. You know, they what totally you really did. liked was the characters. Yeah. Yes, they totally did. And I think... Now that I'm thinking about it, Virgil starts the story and he is just very quiet, keeps to himself character. And so it's kind of like my husband, you know, he's really quiet and he just sort of grew on me after a while. Um, So it's kind of the same as Virgil. And I think that's part of it, right? Like we sort of don't pay attention to the quiet people because they're not loud and they don't stand out and like blaze their glory in front of us. But if you stick with it, you know, you realize like, oh, there's some, there's good stuff there. All right. Well, Jackie, what have you been reading? Well, I actually finished a book today and started a new one. I just finished Just Mercy, a true story of the fight for justice adapted for young adults. That's by Brian Stevenson. Of course, it's excellent. It's just very, very, very well written. It's one of those books that it breaks your heart over and over, but there's hope for people. And I have had borrowed a copy and wanted to write and highlight all over it and had Mm. to restrain myself from doing that. Now, have you read the adult copy? I did read the adult copy several years ago. Did Brian Stevenson write this adaptation for younger readers? He did. He did a very good job. I wouldn't necessarily give it to fifth and sixth graders, but yes, I think some of our older students will be able to handle it just fine. And it's very, very well done. I was, I was quite impressed with it. And I started a book that I've had in the library at school called Dress Coded by Carrie Firestone. And you ladies know from um, being around teenage kids that dress code is a big issue. And it has definitely been a big issue for the last 19 years that I have been an educator. 
this is narrated by a, a young lady named Molly who is so upset over the um, kind of dress coding incident that one of her friends has to endure. She is starting a podcast to tell the real story so that people know what actually happened because what the, had happened in the school was the principal had sent a letter to the family of every student in their grade level and said, if every student stays within dress code for the next semester, I'm going to take them all on this special camping trip. The book has a little bit of a multi-genre format. So you see the letter that the principal writes to all the family saying, Unfortunately, one of our students refused to abide by the dress code. And so we have to cancel this camping trip. And of course, all of the kids find out which girl it was. What happens is they see that she's wearing a tank top and the principal and another male teacher, of course, they're both males, are berating her for this. And she has a sweatshirt tied around her waist and they said put that sweatshirt on and she says I can't well then you're just refusing to do it well Hmm. she's a young lady in middle school and there's Hmm. a reason she doesn't want to put the sweatshirt on and have the back of her jeans reveal that she has her period Hmm. and she can't tell them right these are adult males she doesn't feel comfortable I've just started it and their little tribe of sweet, sweet little girls have all gotten together and they have started a whisper campaign to let everyone at school know what happened so that they're not going to be mean to her and point the finger at her. But that's just in the first 30 pages. So I have no idea what is going to happen because the book's about 300 pages long and I'm very excited because these girls are spunky and evidently devoted to one another. And the girls who aren't as familiar with each other, who are kind of being brought together by the main character, Molly, they want to stand up and do what's right Hmm. and help their fellow female. So I'm really liking it so far. And, you know, I bought the book. After, you know, reading a review that it was a good, you know, middle school choice, but really because of the title and the cover, I bought it for the library. I bought three copies because I thought this is an issue that is so relevant to Mm. our female students. So I'm very excited about it. All right. Well, Amy, what have you been reading? Have you narrowed it down to any one thing? Hey, you know, I was reading about five books at one time. I finished two of them today so I'm making some progress I'm making some progress the book I'm going to talk about today is called The House on the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune and it is considered fantasy I would call it light fantasy because I'm not a huge fantasy reader but I really enjoyed this book it's a book about a 40-ish year old man named Linus who is a caseworker at the department in charge of magical youth. And his job is to go to government-sanctioned orphanages or homes for magical children to make sure that all the rules and regulations are being followed. So he's basically a social worker, but just for magical children. 
and he loves children, but he's also a rule follower, and he doesn't give a lot of thought to what happens to the children after he makes his recommendations in events like where maybe he needs to close an orphanage or close a home. So he is called by upper management to go on a secret mission, and he's to go and spend a month at Marysus Island Orphanage, which is a home located on a remote island off the coast of England. And he's being sent there to evaluate whether six children on the island or at this orphanage are too dangerous to be kept there, and also whether their mysterious headmaster is up to the task. And so if Linus decides the home is not following the rules and regulations, this home could be closed and that could present a really bleak situation for these children. So among the children is a gnome, a forest sprite, a creature that's similar to a dragon, a boy who is a werewolf, but instead of turning into a wolf, he turns into a Pomeranian, (laughs) (laughs) a green blob creature that no one really knows what he is, but he's male. They know that. And then finally, a child that is literally the son of Satan. His name is Lucy, which is short for Lucifer. Uh, And then there's this whole thing about the main character's name being Linus, and then this character's name being Lucy. And I'm sure that there's some kind of meaning there, but I could never figure out what that was. But all these characters maybe sound strange, and they are a little bit edgy, but they are also completely lovable. Now, the villagers who live in the coastal village closest to the island have very negative feelings about the children, although they've actually never met any of them. And there are signs that are posted around town that say, if you see something, say something. And so there's a culture of distrust there. This book felt to me like a cross between the Harry Potter books and the Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. So in Harry Potter, you have the whole anti-magic sentiment that muggles have for those who do have magic abilities. And in Miss Peregrine's, All the children are very odd, and yet they're like family to each other. And so that's the way that this book felt to me. But this author definitely has a message that he wants to get across. And that is just because somebody is different, it doesn't make them bad. It's all about tolerance. So several of the main characters are gay. And it's obvious that this message is meant as a metaphor and reference to those who are LGBTQ and in our real life society. But it could really be anything. It could be about immigrants. It could be about those with different skin color or someone from different religions. There's a quote where one of the the children says to Linus, just because you don't experience prejudice in your everyday doesn't stop it from existing for the rest of us. How can we fight prejudice if we do nothing to change it? If we allow it to fester, what's the point? So I thoroughly enjoyed this book and I totally agree with that message, but at times it did seem a tad on the nose and heavy handed to me, but it didn't ruin the enjoyment for me. And I love that this story is about found family. This book has a YA-ish or even middle school feel to it because it's whimsical and because the majority of the characters are preteen or teen. But the book is from the perspective of Linus, our main character. So it's a bit hard to categorize it except to say that it's a real crowd pleaser, especially for those who like fantasy. It was one of the most popular books on Goodreads last summer. And this author is a Lambda Literary Award winner, which is an award given for the best published works that celebrate or explore LGBTQ themes. T.J. Klune is a gay author and has said it is extremely important to him to have accurate and positive queer representation in our stories. All right. Well, we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, 
Jackie is going to answer three about me. Well, actually about her. We are back with Jackie and we're going to ask her three about me. So you are a huge Beatles fan. Do you have a favorite Beatle and do you have a favorite Beatles album? Oh, yes, 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 I do. My favorite Beatle is Paul McCartney, who I adore. And I have been to England a few times. And each time I've, you know, in the month before I've been ready to travel, I will think of, oh my goodness, what if I run into him? And am I ready with something to say to him if I, if I encounter him? I haven't. But, uh, but I think about that a lot. Anytime I have I've been preparing to travel to the UK, but uh, my favorite Beatles album is definitely Sgt. Pepper. I love that music. I think it's so fun and it's such a fun beginning to end listening in order album, which I don't know about you guys, but I hardly ever do that. Yeah, the Beatles are just, they're just such a special group. Yeah. And the relationship between Paul McCartney and John Lennon, I think, was, it's to me, it's up there with the relationship that Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo had, even though they were rivals and Lennon and McCartney worked together, they brought out really amazing things in each other because they knew each other. I think that's funny that you're trying to think of what you're going to say to Paul McCartney if you see him in England, (laughs) a a country of millions of people. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous. You have to have the perfect line. I know, because you'll be tongue-tied. And if you have it already in your mind, then you'll remember it. Maybe. Your second question is about travel, which ties into England a little bit, but you love to travel. I've heard that you've been on six continents and that sometimes you combine your love of reading with your love of travel. What is one of the most interesting places that you've been because of a book? Several years ago, I was looking at travel around the UK because, again, I, well, I'm a huge Anglophile. I found an itinerary on um, a princess cruise that started in England, you know, outside of London, and it went all the way around the British Isles. And the first stop was on Guernsey. Mm. And I had read the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society and just went, oh my gosh, I could go there. (laughs) I asked travel agents if there was any way they could find me a deal on this package because you have to pay for a double occupancy fee, even if it's just one person traveling. Mm. And I'm thinking I was going to travel by myself that summer. And when my dad saw the itinerary, he said to me, Jackie, I really wish that I could leave your mom for a few weeks and go with you because this looks amazing. And I mentioned it to my mom and she said, take him. <laughs> He's driving me crazy. He had semi-retired and was working from home and not having a separate law office anymore and driving her bananas for being there all the time. So my dad and I went on this trip and it was one of the most special vacations I've ever taken in my entire life. 
because we'd never done that before. And we are so alike in what we enjoy and what we want to see when we travel to different cities. And every evening after we would have dinner on the cruise ship, we would go back to our cabin and I would generally ask, well, there's a show tonight. Do you want to go to it? And he would say, well, I mean, if you do, I'll go with you. And then we would decide, well, why don't we just read in the <laughs> <laughs> And we did. And I, I mean, we sit in our cabin and just be all cozy and read. And yeah, but we got to go to Guernsey and just that beautiful, picturesque island. And it was beautiful. I loved it. So our book club read that book two or three years ago. And then when the Netflix film came out, we all got together and watched it. And I remember Carrie saying at the time, we need to have a field trip and go to Guernsey. And you've done it. Yeah. If I could have stayed a few days, I would have just because you can't see, you know, the whole island in one day. And Mm -hmm. I really like to just soak up the ambiance of a place and sit at cafes and watch people and talk to the locals if I can. But it it was just charming and adorable. All right. Your last question. So you're a crafter. So you need to tell us what types of crafts you do. I like all different types of crafts. I was raised by a mom who had the glue gun at the ready. And would definitely always, you know, see something really intricate in a store and say, oh, I can make that, you know? <laughs> so I was raised by a crafter. One of my favorite crafts that I made in the last few years was not difficult at all. It was just kind of time consuming. But my best friend, her son, who I am very, very close to, was getting married and they were putting on the rehearsal dinner. And I asked if I could make table runners out of book pages. Oh, cool. And they were so beautiful because like at a barbecue place, they had these beautiful long wooden tables. And then she put candles and strings of pearls and stuff on top of it. And I had had a like a weeded copy of, I think it was Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix that Mm -hmm. I couldn't get rid of because I thought, well, even though the spine's broken and we're not going to circulate it, I can still do something with this book. And when he noticed that, because he's an avid, avid reader, and Mm -hmm. we have always talked books since he was probably in in fourth or fifth grade, that was a really fun craft to put together for him. And yeah, so not super difficult, but really, really beautiful. Way more so than I think anybody thought it would be. Well, Jackie, it has been so fun chatting with you about your reading life and middle school and YA books. Thank you so much for being our guest. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you for having me. Did you know you can find a list of all the books, podcasts, movies, and TV shows we talk about on our website? You don't need to have a pencil and paper sitting right next to you to write down all the titles you hear us mention. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at perksofbeingabooklover.com. The show notes are also included on the description of the episode on our podcast player. Thanks for joining us this week. Follow us on Facebook at The Perks of Being a Book Lover or on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to. 
And finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org.